You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. The fact that God actually judges his own people should sound an alarm to the ungodly. If he judges his children, he won't hesitate to judge the lost. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews, he chastens us so that we will not be judged along with the world. So he chastens us, not for sin, but it's corrective. The world he judges for their sin. Ever feel overwhelmed by the constant connectivity of our society? Does the demand to be present all the time weigh on you? Whether it's text messages, social media, or emails, the expectation to be connected has never been more profound. In today's edition of Hardwired, Pastor Jeff urges you to actively carve out time away from distractions to seek Jesus wholeheartedly. Let go of the fleeting concerns of this world and invest your time in the eternal richness found through a connection with Jesus. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 as he continues his message, Think It Not Strange. If I live godly in Christ, or if we have a church that lives godly in Christ and preaches the word and worships the true and the living God, we will be persecuted. The phrase fiery trial is from a Greek word meaning literally is set on fire. That sounds wonderful. Remember, that's why I call it letters that burn. You feel it? All right, Peter has already told them they can expect to be refined in the fire in chapter one, verse seven. As gold is refined in a furnace, Peter says, don't think it unusual that you should pass through a season of suffering. You will, you will. The church of that day was experiencing the first of 10 persecuting Caesars, 10 in a row. The persecution under Nero was the first legal persecution. One church historian says this about Nero's persecution. Its features stand alone in the annals of human barbarity. Inventive cruelty sought out new ways of torture to satiate the bloodthirsty Nero, who was the most cruel emperor to ever reign. He was crazy, and he persecuted and tortured God's people. The gentle followers of Jesus, I got to tell you the truth, were fed to wild animals. Can you imagine that? They were wrapped in animal skins and put into arenas and fed to wild animals who had not been able to eat for days. They would starve them and then turn them loose on them. They were turned into human torches to light Nero's garden. Uh, Often, Nero would go and mingle with the crowd and watch his own dirty work. And... Even though the public was accustomed to public executions, even they were moved with pity, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs and other historical documents. Uh, They were moved with pity for the Christians who were putting through such horrible uh, torture. And it doesn't surprise me that Nero died when he was, I think, either, I think he was 32, 33, young man. He died in A.D. 68, two years before the fall of Jerusalem and the scattering of God's people worldwide. So two years before Jerusalem was leveled, he died by his own hand. Does that surprise you? How in the world could you live inside the mind that did that to people? You couldn't. Now we gain comfort from the words of Jesus to the thief on the cross that though they suffered harshly, it didn't last long and they found themselves in paradise with God. 
resting in the arms of their Savior. But Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't consider it strange or unexpected if people mock you, make fun of you, lie about you, slander you, target you, because you're an outspoken believer living godly in Christ Jesus. And folks, those days are getting worse and worse in America. Can I give you a little warning signal here? Not the same America. Uh Uh-uh. It's very different. And now there is open persecution against God's people simply for taking a stand, quoting a Bible verse. Peter says, rather than thinking they're suffering strange, they should rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Verse 13. Peter was likely thinking back to the early days of the church when he and the other disciples first experienced persecution for walking with Christ. Uh, Right after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the the power of God came upon them, that's when the devil came at them. And they preached, they performed miracles all throughout Jerusalem. They were shaking the city. And the enraged Jewish authorities locked them up and an angel came and set them free. Amen. Amen. Then the authorities seized them again, commanded them, don't preach in Jesus. You can preach all you want, but don't preach in Jesus' name. And whipped them with the 39 lashes across the back. But what did they do? With bruised and bleeding backs, they left the court and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow, rejoicing. After 39 whiplashes, are you kidding me? Most of us are calling an attorney. And we're wanting to be taken to ER. They walked out rejoicing. Where did that come from? Came from the Spirit of God being upon them. Spirit of God and of glory rests upon you. So Peter's words are born out of his own fiery experience, no doubt about it. These early disciples, folks, they were amazing. You could not stop them. Matter of fact, Lock them up in prison, and they won the jailers to Christ. Uh, and, or spent their time writing the eternal epistles we have in the New Testament. Turn them loose, and they turn the world upside down. Beat them, and you make them partakers of Christ's sufferings, and fill their souls with joy. Kill them, and you promote them to glory. You could not knock a good Christian down. A Christian was in a win-win situation. You may need to remember this someday. Next, Peter assures them, verse 14, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. If you're reproached, that's a strong word. It means to disgrace or insult, to reproach, to mock, or to curse someone. If that happens to you for the name of Christ, It literally means insults being cast into your teeth. That's the Greek meaning. You're you're being hit like in your teeth with the fists of harsh words. Very unpleasant experience. I'm never going to tell you I would like that or I have liked it when it's happened to me. But Peter assures you're blessed, you're happy, and you are somebody that ought to be envied. That's what he said. To be envied. Amen. Amen. 
Glory comes from the word doxa, because the Spirit of God and the glory rests on you. Doxa means brightness and splendor. At the very moment you're being reproached for Christ's name, the Spirit uh, of God and the brightness of his glory is resting on you. Now, Peter next is going to meddle a little bit. How many of you will let him? Yes. All right, let's go. Here we go. He says, now here, let me give you four reasons you as Christians should never suffer. Since we're talking about suffering, let me tell you four reasons why you should never suffer. They're all self-imposed, the reasons I'm going to give you. First one, let none of you suffer as a murderer. Second, a thief. Third, an evildoer. And fourth, a busybody. Let's talk about the murderer real quick. I'll skim right over these. It's interesting that many of the converts in the early church had come from very rough, very wild backgrounds, all right? Galatia, for instance. Uh, was known as where the vendetta was practiced. Sounds like the mafia. The vendetta, that's what it was called. The vendetta was practiced. What was it? People inherited an obligation to assassinate someone who had killed a member of their clan or their family. Now, son, you've been born and raised to go take him out because he killed your mama. Now go fulfill the vendetta. How's that? I'm trying, you know. <laughs> okay, Dad. <laughs> the thing about it is murder was a common way of settling differences. That's going to go over big on radio, I can tell you. Um, the Lord Jesus himself was crucified in between a couple of murderous desperados. Both of them. The very cross on which he hung had been originally prepared for the murderer, Barabbas. Murder was common. So Peter also knew all about a group, not just the vendetta, but a group called Sicarii. The Sicarii. And the Sicarii was an outlaw band whose name came from the word Sicca, as in Sikkim. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. But it meant dagger man. The Saqqara, dagger men. And they're described by the historian Josephus and also mentioned in the book of Acts. And, and they would go out as a, a member of the Saqqara or Sakari, and they would take you out with a short dagger. And they were very common in those days. So when he says, don't ever suffer for a murderer, as a murderer, he had a reason for saying that to these people because it was everywhere. All right? Y'all are quiet. Amen. Now, these were zealots that hated Rome, the, the, the Sicarii. Um, and it's, it's surmised that one of the Lord's own disciples, Simon Zelotes, Simon the Zealot, might have come out of this murderous sect. So Peter says, you're different now. Don't forget, you're different now. The Lord of life, not death, lives in you. In, in short, Never bring the suffering of consequences for murder upon yourself. Then Peter mentions the miscreant. Let none of you suffer as a thief. The word thief is kleptes. Kleptomaniac comes from it, kleptes. It means somebody who steals by fraud or in secret. In Bible times, theft was dealt with harshly. A man could be hung, hung for stealing a sheep. There'd be no Americans left if this kind of law was in place. The consequences of theft bring the kind of suffering a Christian should never experience. Don't suffer as a thief. Don't do that to yourself. 
Then next, Peter mentions malcontents. Let none of you suffer as an evildoer. What was an evildoer? It was it pointed to somebody with an evil disposition. This person is always looking to cause trouble, to stir up the pot, to bring injury and harm. They're always, everywhere they go, trouble follows. Know anybody like that? Everywhere they go, trouble follows. Sometimes, you know, we'll be doing church and somebody will end up coming here and we start finding out everywhere they go, there's trouble, there's discord, there's talking and whispering and gossip and everywhere they go. So th- this is th- the malcontent. Malcontents, discontents, they're not happy with anything. So they got to take away your happiness because they're so miserable. Jesus was opposite. He went about everywhere doing good, healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Uh, and that's what we're to be. And then finally, Peter mentions the meddler. We know about the meddler. Let none of you suffer as a busybody in other people's matters. In other words, mind your own beeswax, right? Busybody comes from a Greek word meaning to oversee things that are somebody else's business. Who appointed you to oversee my business, right? Have you ever known one of those? Have you ever been one of those? Don't raise your hand. Are you one of those now? Busybody. They feel like they're anointed and appointed to oversee your stuff and to tell you how to live your life. Usually those, as a matter of fact, almost every time, those who tell you how to live your own life don't know how to live their own. But now they're experts. So anyway, uh, don't be a busybody. Don't suffer for being a busybody because, boy, it can turn around and bite you if you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. So next, Peter mentions the suffering for the right reason. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. The name Christian was a name of derision among the heathen of Peter's day. If you said you were a Christian, it was bad on you. Well-bred people avoided pronouncing the name Christian. And when they were forced to do so, they made a kind of an apology. Christian. It comes from the Greek word Christiano meaning the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And only with time did it evolve into a name of honor. You know, there was a time in America when you said you were a Christian, it was a, an honor. If you said you went to church, it was honorable. If you said you, you believed in biblical morality, you were an honorable American citizen. No more. It's going right back to being a name of, oh, you're a Christian? One of those, Bible thumper, right wing, homo this, that, and the other, homophobe this, phobe that, phobe the other. You know, that's not even a good use of the word. If if somebody calls you a homophobe, is from phobos, and it means to have a dread terror of something. So when you're called a homophobe or a Islamophobe or whatever, They're telling you, you've got a dread terror of this. And no, I don't. I don't have a dread terror of it. I just don't agree with the lifestyle. I don't see it in Scripture. I see that God is against it in Scripture, just like in in adultery or fornication or bestiality or pedophilia or anything else. He's against it, but it doesn't make me in dread terror of it. It's, It's a misuse of the word. That's just me, Jeff. I'm a word guy. It bugs me. Amen. 
If you suffer for being associated with Jesus Christ, glorify God, Peter says. Verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, what does that mean? Because we're not going to be judged for sin, right? The blood of Jesus has covered our sin. So he says, the time has come for judgment to begin first at the house of God. Now, the judgment he's referring to is the outbreak of persecution against the church. Catch this, everybody. Peter is saying God was using the persecution to cleanse the church, to purify the church, to separate the real from the fake, the phony from the genuine. Because it's okay to say you're a Christian if you're getting something out of it. But if you start suffering for it, all of a sudden, I'm not so sure I'm a Christian. I don't know about this Christian stuff. And all of a sudden, you disappear. Because now you're paying a price for it, and it shows that you're not real. Because if you really love Jesus, you will suffer for his name. Okay? So, at the time of Peter's writing, false doctrine had found a real home in the church. Nothing new under the sun. And he suggests that persecution will quickly sift the real from the fake. The false teachers were getting money. They were getting dishonest gain. They were charging for their messages. They were making false promises in order to extract money from the people. They were living good lives off of their false teaching. Is there anything new under the sun? All right, now, Peter says when they start paying for it, if they start getting lumped in with the Christians that are getting persecuted, you're going to find they disappear from the church because they're not about to pay a suffering price for the name of Christ. So he says, so God is using persecution to purify and purge and prune the house of God. John chimed in with this. John said in 1 John 2, 19, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong with us. Because folks, real faith is persevering faith. Can I say that again? Real faith is persevering faith. You don't run when the going gets rough. I'm not saying you don't have down moments. I'm not saying you don't have times when you're not feeling all full of fire like I expressed a little while ago about preaching. But you don't leave Christ because you're paying a suffering price for his name. But these people were. And John said, let them go because they weren't a part of us. I like to put it this way. Those that are with you cannot leave. And those that aren't with you cannot stay. I need to say that again. That, 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 that gained some traction. Let me watch this now. I've pastored a long time. All right? I've seen it over and over again. Those that are with you, they cannot leave. They will not leave. But those that are not with you, no matter how much you try to talk them into staying, they cannot stay. 
So the suffering of persecution has a purging effect. We're almost done. The suffering of Christians can also be a warning to the world. The suffering of believers can, should be a warning to the world. Here's the deal. If, he says in verse 17, if it, the persecution and the judgment, begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? The fact that God actually judges his own people should sound an alarm to the ungodly. If he judges his children, he won't hesitate to judge the lost. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews, he chastens us so that we will not be judged along with the world. So he chastens us, not for sin, but it's corrective. The world he judges for their sin. Okay? So he's saying to the world, world, you ought to pay attention because if God is allowing his own church to be chastened and judged and purged and purified, where does that leave you who don't know his son and have rejected his son? It ought to be a warning signal to you. It ought to be a flag. You better get right with God because if he lets his own people go through this, where, where does it leave you? at the great white throne judgment. Sometimes, everybody, judgment overtakes the wicked in this life. Sometimes. But often, it seems as if they're getting away with it. But the wicked never escape. Never. Their judgment is simply postponed. The Bible is clear that all of the unsaved, all of the unsaved, are going to stand trial at the great white throne judgment where Jesus sits on the throne. It's Jesus on that great white throne. And the books are open, and the book of life. And whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into a Christless eternity. That's what it says. So even though it looks like the wicked are getting away with all kinds of wickedness and nothing's happening to them, listen, their judgment may be paused, but it's never totally removed. It's coming. Their foot will slip, they will face God. And they will answer for all the sin the blood of Jesus could have covered. And he closes with this wonderful advice. So let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I love that verse. Because when you're overwhelmed with suffering, you commit it into the hands of a faithful God. That's what Jesus did. What did he say? Into your hands. I commit my spirit. And he committed his whole eternal outcome into the hands of a faithful creator. So if you're suffering, God sees it. God knows it. God has not forsaken you. God goes through it with you. Jesus has been tempted at all points like we are yet without sin. And he's walking with you through it. And you can trust your suffering into his hands because he is faithful. He is faithful. I close with this statement. God's too loving to be unkind. He's too wise to make any mistakes. And he's too powerful to be thwarted from his purpose. Have you ever encountered God? Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, have you ever experienced God's love in any form? 
If this is you, today, Pastor Jeff shared that God's love is abundant and He wants to change your life for the better. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or the mistakes that you've made, there is nothing that you could ever do to cause God to leave your side. Be transformed into a new creation through His gift of grace. Hi everybody, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire from Hardwired, and I've got something really special to share with you. For a gift of $20 or more, we're gonna send you a beautiful hardwired pen and a bright LED flashlight with an attached keychain. It's blue in color and bordered in copper and it's very pretty. It's our gift to you for supporting Hardwired. The set also contains a built-in stylus for your touchscreen devices. So to claim your gift set, visit our website at hardwired.org and just donate $20 or more. And click the Donate Now button in the top right corner. And thanks so much for being a part of the Hardwired family. And I assure you, every dollar that comes in is going to go straight to reaching the world with the Word of God. Have a blessed week. And I'll hand it back to Daniel as he gives a preview of what's coming up on the next edition of Hardwired. When we're saved by Christ, do we invest in our relationships like we should? Or do we continue to do our own thing on our own? In the next edition of Hardwired, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that the only way you'll experience closeness with God is through healthy relationships with other believers. It's not enough to read your Bible and pray on your own. Relationships that challenge and inspire you to live more like Him are vital to who you are in Christ. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of 1 Peter, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.